AdamandEve.com is the world's number one online source for adult toys. And I'm Horrified is the world's number one source for nightmares, aren't we, Sam? We so are. So, we've joined forces to bring you some sweet deals. Use our offer code HORROR at checkout for 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's H-O-R-R-O-R. AdamandEve.com. We're not horrified at all. We're horrified. Oh, God. No! No! Hello, everybody. Hi, listeners. Welcome back to I'm Horrified. We're happy you're here. I'm Sam. I'm Allie. Rainer. Oh, I chose to say my last name. That's okay. I like to be anonymous. (laughs) I'm just Sam. And I'm Allie Rainer. If you're going to steal one of our tax identities, it's going to be me. Woo! Not Um, that I haven't said my last name many times on this podcast. But not today. Please don't take our stuff. We're so poor. (laughs) It's episode... I'm not sure. I'm not sure either, but what I am sure about is we have... One of the specialist guests we could ever have. The most special guest to us, for sure. Um, Personally, this person is very special to me. And this person is also special in general. She's a costume designer. She works at the Boston Ballet here in Boston, Massachusetts. Absolutely. She is a drama historian. For sure. She is a... Lover of Eurovision. She is a native resident of the United Kingdom, which is exciting for but all she's, of you Anglophiles. But she's also a legal resident of the United States now, which is very exciting. Ayo, less exciting these days. <laughs> Our roommate of six years, Becky Thurgood. Welcome to the podcast, Becky. Way. Hello, Pod. We welcome you. Oh We're God. so glad you're here. So excited. She's been our first listener. I think I probably heard... All of the episodes before anybody else. Yeah. Because I hear them. From the murmur of our <laughs> yes. bedroom studio. But I definitely, you guys have been talking about this for a long time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Becky, what are you really here to talk about? I am here to talk about something that has interested me for a very long time. Love it. Slightly different than the stuff that you guys have covered before. Because it's not a person, mm-hmm. it's not an event, but it's a concept. Concepts. I'm horrified. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) I'm going to talk about colors. Colors? Yeah. But what's horrifying about that? I'm setting you up. I know that there's something there. (laughs) Now, Becky, you just take it. You run. Just go. That's how we do this? Okay. Colors on the surface seem pretty chill. We're all good with colors. People have them. They exist in the world. I'll take it. They look nice. My favorite color is orange. That's just a fun fact for all of you. Yeah. I don't know. My favorite color is probably blue, which I think is pretty boring. I think lots of people like blue. What's yours, Allie? Oh, I don't see color. (laughs) That's a joke. Get Um, out of this podcast. You can't appreciate this. I think mine is also blue. I don't know. I don't think about color that much. I'm going to think about it a lot after this segment, so I want you to to drop some knowledge on me. Okay, so I'm going to start from the very beginning. I'm not Julie Andrews, but can we go back to how colors exist and what colors actually are because i feel like we should all have this base yes knowledge definitely we all went to art school we didn't do science so we're going to do a little bit of science but it'll be fast so regular old daylight looks white but is actually made up of several different waves of color and light mind is blown but keep going (laughs) so when we think about the rainbow you have roy g biv Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so each of those colors, red, orange, yellow, all the way down, are different waves of light. Red has the shortest waves. So that means that there's the shortest distance between the up and the downy points Mm -hmm. on the wave. 
Oh, I didn't know that. And blue has the longest waves. So the distance between the up and the downy bits on blue. The scientific turn? Yes. Up and they probably bits. do have real point <laughs> names. I'm sure somebody That's knows. That's not what we're here but for. <laughs> they're all up and down. And so the way that colours happen is the white light hits an object and it reflects back one of those waves of colour. Into your eye holes. Into your eye holes. Rods and cones, all of that jazz. And that's how you see the colour. Bang, bang, boom. So Sam's pink cup over here is absorbing everything on the light spectrum except those pink waves of light. Oh. That's wild. Thinking about that is wild. But I get it. So uh, black absorbs all of the waves of light and white reflects all We're of all those waves. We're all just staring at our light, <laughs> which <Yeah>. is black. <laughs> and then I'm like looking at a book, which is white. Now I'm looking back at the pink glass. So my pink glass, like, all of the white light is hitting it. Yeah. It's eating all those waves except for the pink wave, which is, like, bleh. Yes. And then our eye holes see the pink wave getting reflected. Yes. And the reason well, why some things reflect one color and some things reflect another color is complicated, and that's physics and chemistry and pigments, so I'm... You can give us just the Not gonna get into that, that yeah, but as long as... I feel, I feel great. I feel like I'm a doctor of science now, and I'm ready. All of science. Yes. Um, but so as long as we understand that light hits something, it reflects back, you see it, that's how color works. Everybody we're out all, there good? Alright, let's get going. Pod, yes. I've already know. learned something today. This yeah, is great. I'm go. done. What Thanks. a start Becky, to my thank day. you so much for coming. <laughs> that was it. That's my podcast. That's good enough. Um, so, in theory, barring any colorblindness or vision issues, humans should be able to see all of those colors on the light spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. So we can see everything from red all the way through down until violet. Yes. But it's not that simple. Why? Can't um, it just be that no, simple? <laughs> no, I'm really sorry. You know you said you don't think that much about colours. You're going to think a lot about colours. It's like going to the gym for the first time in a while. <laughs> it's also uncomfortable. And I'm like, ugh, I haven't used this muscle in so long. But now it's your eye muscles. <laughs> I know, my eyes are darting around. Especially like my bookcase. I'm looking at all the bindings. And I'm like, red, yellow, blue, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> What were you saying? (laughs) So what scientists have actually discovered is that the language that you speak has a huge impact on both the words for colours that you have and the colours that you perceive. Okay. Like linguistic determinism? Yeah. So if you don't have a word for it. What a fancy couple of words that just came out of your mouth. That's an awesome term, which is like, you know, if if your language is like more inclusive, then the communities tend to be more inclusive. Or if a a language is more singularly minded and like narrow in the way it shapes its like nouns and whatnot, it it tends to like bleed into personality things, which is super cool. As somebody who studied accents for a really long time, I find that super interesting, but I absolutely didn't think about it in terms of, like, affecting Physical things. Color. Yeah. 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 Well, because color is just, like, the bouncing of waves, so, like, it is bouncing. (laughs) You just see it. Sure is bouncing. I don't... All right. Becky's looking at us like, you idiots. You don't even know. (laughs) I'm ready to be re-educated. So, we're going to take a journey back, both in my life and also human time. So you guys know this, uh, but I took two years of ancient Greek when I was in high school because I was a nerd and I liked Percy Jackson. 
we, fine. <laughs> we didn't know it was because you liked Percy Jackson. <laughs> now everybody knows. So, nerd. Damn. <laughs> her first podcast, and you're just, you're embarrassing her. You keep going, Becky. Okay. <laughs> so, I remember when I was reading the Odyssey in my ancient Greek class, my Greek teacher, Mr. Gabrielson, was so excited for when we got to the section that's the description of the sea in the Odyssey that Homer writes about. You know, in books that feature the sea, or people talk about the sea, it's either beautiful turquoise or it's like stormy dark it's blue yeah you know maybe even black like the black sea in the odyssey it's described as the wine dark sea so what like red (laughs) obviously wine is like red or pink cabernet or or clear (laughs) and the sea is blue right so obviously somewhere along the line this translation got messed up and like homer didn't mean to say that not true Oh no. In whatever language you translate the ancient Greek into across history, they always say the wine dark sea. So he meant to say He like meant to red. say the wine dark sea. He also called sheep wine dark too, which is a whole other thing that nobody really understands, but maybe he was just weird. Some of other things were like violet in there. So I don't know, Homer was a bit weird when it came to trying that to wrap kind of my mind around a violet sheep. <laughs> but continue. Oh, um, I'm in. I'm game for a violet sheep. Love it. So the first person to actually notice this was William Gladstone, who went on to become a prime minister in England in like the 1880s, and he went through and realized that in all of the Odyssey there isn't a single mention of the word blue, and kind of went, oh, that's interesting. Moved on. And a few decades later, a guy called Lazarus Geiger, who Ooh, was what a name. one of the first philologists, which is the person that studies words, which I think is a pretty cool thing, that is cool. Oh, yeah. um, proposed the idea that it wasn't just ancient Greeks that had this lack of word for blue. It was ancient Icelandic, ancient Hindu, ancient Chinese, ancient Arabic, and ancient Hebrew people who did not have a word for blue. So wait, none of those people ever say blue anytime ever? Nope. Those ancient texts never feature the word blue. But there is blue. There's blue stuff. Well, if you think about it, apart from like the sea and the sky, if you can't create artificial dyes and colours, there aren't that many things in nature that are blue. But the sky. The sky. <laughs> we both were just like, the sky is like, such a big one. But this, you can just be like, oh, the sky is cloudy. The sky is raining. The sky is, you don't need, you know. It's it not blue, really it's just need... over there to the right, I guess. I guess, I mean, really I guess. need that color, right? Blew my mind. All right, so, I'm sorry. Hey, <laughs> well done. Um, the first society in ancient times that had a word for blue was the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were also the first ancient people to create blue dye. Sounds like them. Yeah. They just come out ahead of everything. Typical. Typical. So it wasn't until you could create this colour that you needed the word for it. Okay. You know, I get it. Right? I so get it. at this point, it's like, there's the sky and there's the sea. It's not until you need to be like, I like this dress. Can I have it in blue? That you need a descriptor for yeah. that colour. Another cool thing, when we get to this later, but orange, they just used to call yellow-red until somebody saw an orange tree. And then was like, oh, look! It's the same! <laughs> Let's name it. Yeah. But why don't we eat yellow-reds? <laughs> <laughs> Give me answers! 
We're not there yet. No, We're we'll get there. Yet. We'll get there. So, just because you don't have a word for blue doesn't mean that blue doesn't exist, right? I right. agree. Right? I agree. Potentially wrong. No. No. You misled me. <laughs> Potentially, these ancient people could not see blue. Becky, no. you said <laughs> you said the colors were just wavelengths. You said I'm. So I'm, ready, I'm ready to play. Blue exists as a color, <laughs> okay. right? Well, but, you said. <laughs> but bad. there is this potential that ancient people could not see blue, which is why that they they didn't have the word for it, why they didn't create things that were blue, and it wasn't until later that we evolved that people could see blue, they could create the dye, they could name the thing. Whoa. But it would seem like that's an ancient thing, right? Like, we can move on, people see blue now. Okay, now I'm getting used to your (laughs) style of education, and I know that's not true. Yeah, no, it's not. There are still people in the world that don't see blue. Oh, I'm scared. (laughs) I feel bad for them. Blue is a very nice color. Blue is a very nice color. Maybe they're just, like, too smart. They're like, I don't need blue. You know what I mean? So... Who are they? (laughs) The... Most kind of famous study that this was done on was on a group of people that are the Himba tribe from Namibia. And the Himba tribe in their language still doesn't have a word for blue and doesn't really have a distinction between blue and green. So uh, the researcher wanted to test if that actually meant that they couldn't see blue or if you just like don't have a word for it they just don't feel like call it something, something else, else or right? something so he did an experiment i'm actually going to show you guys the pictures that okay. he used um he made a circle of squares which is a weird phrase but um 11 squares 10 of them green one of them blue and blue enough that it should be extremely obvious which one is blue or at least extremely obvious to blue seers so i'm sorry podcast but we're going to do a a, vi- a visual exercise oh we do this to them all the time <laughs> so i'm going to show sam first sam which of these squares is blue that one great ali which of those squares is blue the blue one thank you very much <laughs> so to us that is pretty obvious that that is blue yeah because one of them's blue and the rest <laughs> are green so the to- story's over right <laughs> So to members of the Himba tribe, they could not see which of those was blue. But it's blue! That's bizarro. Yeah. So they could guess. Most of them got it wrong. So it wasn't just even that, like, they couldn't really tell the difference. It was, I cannot tell which one of these is blue and which one of these is green. Okay, that is wild because, like, we will definitely tweet this, but, like, it's not... It's not even close. It's, it's not like one of those. Yeah, it's not like one of those like vision tests where yeah. like everything kind of looks the same. Like it's so different, and it's not like I think the thing that's like horrifying isn't that like oh they can't see blue. It's that our two perceptions could be so wildly different. Yeah, I'm. Spooked. You know that's spooky because it's like what else am I not seeing? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So um, the other crazy thing is that there are many different cultures that don't have words for blue, don't have words for as many colours as we do in English, or don't have words for colour in general. Okay, but colour exists. (laughs) That's too far. (laughs) I guess you don't need blue, but come on! 
So there's a couple examples. Not even green. (laughs) In Papua New Guinea and Liberia, there are a few groups of people who literally the only terms that they use are light and dark. All colours fall into light or they fall into dark. And there is no more description than that. Okay. I mean, you gotta at least give them props for just being like, it's light and dark. Let's move on. So in English, we have the concept of warm and cool colours. So is it kind of like it's that? It's kind of like that. Okay. So oh, they will okay. categorize colors as light or dark. See, I was going down like so like we got we've got our pastels <laughs> so that's going light, but then we've got our jewel tones and those are dark, but that's not what this. I'm no. watching you overthink. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem is is that when we say warm and cool colors in English, we've all got these groupings of colors in mind. Yeah. Like we're putting these colors over here, we're putting those colors over there. There is potential that within these groups of people because they only think in terms of light and dark, the differences between colors mean nothing more than that to them. Okay, does fine. That, is that it's fine. kind of a weird concept to get, but yeah, I <sighs> I feel like there's going to be more crazy shit, so I'm just like, I've got to accept this now. (laughs) I can't, but I will. Okay, fine. Okay. So one level even further than that, which Sam's really going to really dislike, I'm really sorry, Sam, is that there are certain groups of people that don't have a word or a concept for colour in general. And so a really good example of that is the Walpiri people who live in Australia's Northern Territory. And they, A, don't have colours but also don't have a word for the concept of colour. Not even the concept? Nope, nothing. So they are much, much more focused on texture, physical sensation, and purpose when describing something, because the word for colour and colours in general do not exist. And, like, I guess in theory, like, that makes more sense, because, like, colour, if you think about it, it's not, like, useful... No. Well, now I'm thinking of, like, a stoplight, which is useful. <laughs> but, like, the color of your shirt isn't useful. Like, whether or not it will keep you warm is useful. But does it hurt so much to just call it red, I guess? I know. To me, it's just a shorthand. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was like, can you grab me a shirt out of my room? And you were like, great, which shirt? And I had to be like, a shirt with long sleeves that is soft and will keep me warm, but has a pocket. And will do, or I could be like, "Can you grab me my green flannel?" You know, like. But if they, if their shorthand is different, it might be just as useful. That's true. It's like the people that don't use left and right, but use east and west, and have those compass points in their brain. I hate that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to shut down this conversation, but I. Anyone who says like, and then you just have to go east. I'm like, are we in the old west right now? <laughs> Am I voyaging across the plains? I think I said that to you once. I'm like, oh, well, it's north of Beacon Street. And you're like, where even is that? Like, furious and offended by me. And I never know where I am. I have a very bad sense of direction. But don't further mock me by saying east and west and north and south. I don't have a compass. We're getting so off the rails. Yeah, this is not colors. I'm so sorry. I apologize. This is just Sam's vendetta against direction. When you just said that, it set me off. I'm getting myself back on track. I'm <laughs> having a sip, a sip of, of water. water. Good. There we go. We're staying hydrated. Keep talking, Becky. I'm sorry I yell. <laughs> so the flip side of this no color phenomenon is the groups of people that have more color words than English. 
That's fun. Yeah. I like right? the idea of that. So, so if they have more color words, are they seeing colors that we don't see? Potentially, yes. I want those. I want right? those colors. So, historically, Welsh and Chinese and Japanese people had what um, researchers like to call the combination GRU term, G-R-U-E, so the blue-green term. So, in Welsh, I apologise to my aunt, who is Welsh, uh, it's GLAS, G-L-A-S, and that is a colour that is used to describe things in Welsh ancient texts that English doesn't really have a word for. So, for example, certain trees are described as this word. So either that means that linguistically they've associated it with a different word, or physically they are seeing that tree as a different colour than we are. Isn't that strange? So, like, they can look at two trees and be like, this one is glass and this, this one, one is green. green. Yeah. And we'd look at those trees and be like, look at all these trees. trees. They are green. Yeah. So that is also true with cats. Lots of people think cats see more colours than we oh, do. Oh, okay. I didn't know for a second. I was like, there are more colours than cats. That's <laughs> what I thought. Are no. some cats purple? Cats are some see... cats green? Cats can see more colours than humans. I believe that. They seem oh. mystical. So, interesting enough for all of those languages, Welsh, Japanese, and Chinese, in more modern writing and spoken word, the GRU term has shifted towards blue and a new separate term for green has evolved in japanese and chinese it was it came out of um other words in their language so the word that they had that was different to the grew and the blue term mm. in welsh they borrowed english words oh so it wasn't that their language necessarily evolved it was just that they were like well these other people call it this I guess we should call it this because that's more helpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and in Russian, Turkish, and Greek, they have two separate terms for blue. One exclusively refers to dark, what we would call darker shades of blue, and one exclusively refers to what we would call lighter shades of blue. And so a really cool reverse experiment that the same researcher Jules Davidoff did with that same tribe, because they may not have a word for blue, but they have several words for green, is they had the same setup of the different coloured squares within the circle, one of them being a slightly different green. And I'm going to show you guys the picture. Okay, Sam. One of them is different, I promise. I don't believe you. I don't want to say that, but they all look thus... It, I mean, it's... I feel bad now, because in that first test, I was like, one's blue, idiots. Obviously. Um, but these all just look green. Yeah. Allie? Let Allie guess. I think that one's a little different. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I so guess. That one is different. It's like a trick of the light, though. But you could probably argue that, yeah, maybe it doesn't look different, maybe it's weird on the screen. Exactly. Like, my thought was, oh, it's on, a, like, a screen right now, that's why they're all otherwise the same color. So I couldn't see the difference when I first did this, and then I was only, like, noticed it, now I know which one's different. <laughs> the Himba people knew instinctively, as obvious as it was to us that that one was blue, that that one is a different green. This is so much like that episode we did on um, Cartesian skepticism. It's yeah. like, well, then it was different, and now it's the same thing, but I guess, blah, 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 like, you just, your brain oh explodes. That's crazy. I think, therefore, I green. <laughs> Another study in 2007 with Russian people, one of those groups that has um, two 
turns for blue, once they'd been living in an English-speaking country long enough, actually began to lose that ability to discriminate between the two Whoa. sets of blue. Wait, they lose colours? It's not necessarily that you lose the ability to see them, but because you stop using and thinking about the separate words for them, you lose that ability to distinguish. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of like kind of going back to that like linguistic determinism. determinism. Yeah, exactly. So if you are thinking about and using two separate words for blue, you can see them. If you are using one word for blue, you begin to only see one of those groups of blue. Well, yeah, mind blown. right. So all of this kind of signifies that it wasn't just that the ancient Greeks didn't have a word for blue, or all of those other people didn't have a word for blue. They literally couldn't see it. And there are probably groups of people across the world who do see more colours than English speakers, but also people who see less colours than English speakers. But because we grew up in an English-speaking household with English-speaking people in an English-speaking country, we've just kind of had those basic colours in us and not ever really thought about if there was more or less of them in the world. That's true. Yeah, I've yeah. never thought about that. Yeah. Not even for one moment. <laughs> See? Thinking about colours. Yeah. So, as we talked about before, it wasn't until people had to make colours that they needed words for them. And once people could make colours, colours became much more important in our lives. They affected our psychology. And now even people use colours to manipulate humans into doing things. So we uh, talked excuse about excuse me, no color's gonna make me do anything. I don't know, we're gonna see. I so... a red a red stoplight. It's gonna make you do All stuff. Alright, fair enough. <laughs> gonna... But that that it is We'll get to red. We'll okay. get to red. Red's, is, red's is red important. this much of its own thing? Yeah, oh, you should see my, my red section. Oh my god, there's a page on red. There's oh a, my god. There's a this is this is red. Red is a big section. Oh my anyway, god. I have a whole subheading that says red and blue manipulate your life. So, you know. <laughs> So dense. I got really into yeah. it. <laughs> okay. So I want to talk a little bit more about history and something that I also really like, which is fashion history. And we want to talk about sumptuary laws, which Sam probably knows a lot about because she's read Tudor books. Have you not heard about this? I don't. I'm not familiar with the term sumptuary. Okay. I bet when you explain it to me, I would I be like, I have read yeah. a little bit about this. Yeah. Oh, so work. Sumptuary laws. A good example is uh, Tudor England, but other places had sumptuary laws restricted the types of fabric, the types of colors, the types of cloth. Yes. That people could wear depending on where they ranked in society. Right. The only yes. one that I remember is like kings wear purple. Yeah. Exactly. That's the, that's and if the you're poor, one. you can't wear purple. Yeah. So I want to shout out the book that I got all of this information from, which is. The Secret Lives of Colour by Cassia St. Clair. It is a great book. It has a whole section on all of the colours that you could think of. Um, and I learned a lot about colours from this book. And I'd like to give you a shout out as the first person to ever use a physical hard copy book to research well done. this podcast. We have never done that. It's basically like Jezebel article yeah. on Wikipedia. <laughs> it's, it's 100% BuzzFeed for me. So good for you. Okay. This feels academic. I know. So Allie is totally right that sumptuary laws are where we get the idea of like royal blue and royal purple. Um, but the other really important thing to look at is russet and scarlet. So russet and scarlet are two shades of red and brown-ish that became really important to differentiate between peasants and craftsmen and nobility in Tudor Europe. So I'm going to read some something from the uh, scarlet section. 
The very name of Scarlet, for example, did not initially refer to a colour at all, but a particularly admired woollen cloth. So at first they were talking about the material. Yeah, so it was scarlet cloth was the type of cloth dyed a certain way. Uh, and the colour became synonymous later. But then it was like, wow, that's the same colour as scarlet cloth. Yes. So like cochineal, which is another colour, it was dyed with beetles. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. Um, and it a single gram of the precious red colour took 80 female beetles. Damn. Damn. Rip yeah. those beetles. So it res- the, the Tudor England restricted the use of colour to... Uh, king's nobility in the, like, first wave, so, like, dukes and earls, not the, like, small nobility. Not a baron. Yeah, but fun yeah. Shakespeare fact, he was allowed to have four and a half yards of scarlet cloth to wear at James I's coronation because he was the royal playwright. Yeah. That sounds so Shakespeare, like, him walking in, like, you like my outfit? It took 20,000 beetles to make. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic Shakespeare. He was a drama queen. He him was. and Marlowe both were two drama queens. And sumptuary laws are also why, still to this day, cardinals wear red and not something else. Oh! So cardinals wear scarlet. I've always wondered that, because I was like, isn't that a saucy color for men of God? Yeah. But it was wearing? because it was so rare and so powerful. So it was like, only God dresses me. Yeah. Only God kills all these beetles. All right. <laughs> yeah, probably kill a lot of beetles. Uh, so on the flip side, russet, which is the weird brownie red rust color. Mm-hmm. Also a potato. So russet is also a color that was originally used to donate a cloth. Oh. Not a color itself. Was so it like scarlet. So like a less fancy one maybe? Yeah, so um, I'm going to read from something that is was actually from 1363 Ooh. from the parliament of king That's edward old. the third and it said carters plowmen drivers of the plow ox herds <laughs> cow herds shepherds and all other keepers of beasts threshers of corn and all manner of people of the estate and all other people that have not 40 shillings of goods shall not take nor wear no manner of cloth but blanket and russet those sound like my boys right there. Those <laughs> so, are the salt of the earth people yeah. who don't need scarlet. They're wearing russet. So to medieval people, the closer a cloth was to the color of raw material materials, the cheaper it was. That makes sense because it, right? it wasn't dyed. So russet yeah. was basically just usually dipped in weak solutions of color, and that was what was left over from like dyeing other stuff. And they were like, "There you go, peasants." Sounds about right. So, originally, rust wasn't a colour, and it could range, depending on what the dyer had been dyeing the other day, it could range anywhere from, like, blue-grey to sludge. Ooh. But it was really nothing special. And it wasn't until later that both scarlet and russet became more synonymous with the colours than the type of cloth. That's so that's interesting. interesting. So that's a sort of real beginning of colour psychology and how we assign values and meanings to colours in a way that isn't really necessary. So I want to save red for last, but if you guys want to pick, if you guys want to pick, I have some info on blue and green and yellow, orange and pink, if you want to pick one. Oh, oh um, I'll go red, yellow. Go ahead, red, yellow. Get orange. it? I'm going to go with Throwback. orange. I'm asking right. orange. <laughs> so as we talked about before, the red, yellows, before the 15th century, orange was simply referred to as red, yellow until somebody was like, oh man, orange trees, same color. Let's call it orange yeah. much faster. After the fruit. So orange has a few different tones and shades with different meanings. So like peach pastel tones are seen as sweet and affable. Agreed. Whereas more intense, vibrant oranges are like vitality 
vitality, energy, encouragement. In Western countries in particular, orange is often linked to inexpensive and affordable products. So really? Think oh. of Amazon uses orange in their logos. CVS mm. uses orange. EasyJet uses it in their they planes. Do. EasyJet, oh my Payless God. uses it oh. in their logos for orange. Yeah, I guess you're right. Just carefree, so, frugal. You know, or, and, <laughs> that, and that describes me to a T. That's true. Carefree and frugal. There you go. So that's one example of how, without even thinking about it, this brand has influenced you with the colour that they choose. So, I don't know, you want to go for green? Green. Tell me about green. So, in Western countries, it's seen of a colour of luck, or freshness, or, like, wholesome things are often green. Like whole foods or four-leaf clover. You jumped right in. Oh, I'm doing it. So, freshness (laughs) is also green. If you think of mint, is green. So, gum is often green. Toothpaste is often green. Whole Foods is green. Instacart is green. Instacart is green. Tic Tacs are green. Oh, my God. Uh, But in China and Japan, green is seen as the colour of new birth, youth, and hope. Which is really mm, maybe because of like you know the natural cycles of yeah. nature, uh, the spring, fun which fact, makes more sense. Uh, in China, it is also a symbol of infidelity, and to wear a green hat <gasps> is considered a symbol of your partner cheating on you. <gasps> who would wear? Who sells green hats? Then? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining now, like hating your husband and buying like a, a really cute, like little green a hat. beautiful, yeah. huge and green hat, being, like, <laughs> and just being like, "Oh, honey, yeah, I'm ready to go. Just let me put on my hat." Ta-da! <laughs> yeah. But I think it's also really interesting that uh, Western cultures and Eastern cultures can have two different yeah, definitely. like psychological associations with colours. Oh my god, I want more. Uh, yellow. 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 Okay, so Van Gogh and other artists uh, are the ones that really solidified yellow being the colour of happiness. Mm-hmm. Sunflowers. So it's also, we associate it with sunshine, good energy, and joy. But we can also associate yellow with cowardice, betrayal, and illness. The latter associations are thought to be because often in nature, toxic and poisonous things use yellow. Oh, like snakes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those subliminal, like... Interesting. Yeah. It's also, yellow is one of the most visible colours on the spectrum, which is why it's often used for, like, emergency signs, high visibility stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. That's So. so cool. Yeah, but if you think about that in a branding context, Snapchat is yellow, bright, fun. McDonald's is yellow and red. We'll get to red, like I said. <laughs> I cannot wait for red. Sprint, you know, mm, fun, cheap, upbeat, Ferrari. And then National Geographic also uses yellow. So uh, I have blue or pink? Pink, pink. We'll get to red. All right, pink. Okay, pink. So pink in the Western world, again, is widely considered a feminine colour. Yeah. Because of this, it's used to bring awareness to breast cancer, applied to many women's products, and considered a colour predominantly used and worn by women. Mm -hmm. However, not always the case. Originally, it was considered to be a colour suited to little boys because scarlet and red was a man's colour, and so the little, like, younger version of it was pink. Interesting. And women wore russet. Women, well, women were often associated with blue because of the Virgin Mary. Oh, <laughs> that's the side of my mind exploded. Um, and if you're a whore, you wear red too, yeah. or a green hat, or, a green <laughs> or hat. one green hat. Um, and similarly, in Japan, the color is associated with masculinity because the pink cherry blossoms are thought to be symbols of fallen Japanese warriors. Oh, Interesting. That's so cool. Yeah. 
But if you think of Victoria's Secrets, Cosmopolitan, that's all just all pink, feminine pink, pink, pink. branding. But it's also associated like Dunkin' Donuts is pink. It's sweet. It's bubbly. It's fun. Baskin Robbins is also pink. Same mm. thing. So it's often feminine things and sweet things. That's associated true. With pink. Nothing I relate to more as a woman than donuts and ice cream. <laughs> so yeah, true. Fair. So. Last before we get to bread is blue, which is trustworthiness, serenity, and productivity. And often you see blue associated with medical or hospital things. If you think of scrubs are often blue, hospital mm-hmm. wards are often blue, hospital gowns are blue, blue cross blue shield is blue. Sure yeah. is. You know, so it's meant to promote trustworthiness and being in a blue room makes you much calmer than like if you have yeah to sit that in i've heard like if you paint your walls in your bedroom blue it helps with your sleep yeah so that's if wild. you think of that's why doctors don't walk when if a doctor walked around in like bright red scrubs <laughs> you'd feel pretty like intense i would feel that's like i was true. in like a satanic hospital right? where they were gonna where harm us all my blue? organs Ooh, goth yeah. hospital it's goth nice. spittle <laughs> We haven't even gotten to red yet. We haven't even gotten to red yet. All right, I'm sorry. I'm enamored by the idea of a hospital, but please continue. Uh, blue also, like I said, is the most common color among the US and UK populations as, fa- as favorite. As a favorite. That's cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It's the color of my, the eyes of my two best friends. Aww. Yeah, I was thinking about the fact that we both We both have blue eyes, eyes yeah. yeah. Um. So red. Okay, we've got a whole big chunk on red. Oh, I see a lot of bold. Yeah. So red is considered to be the color of intense emotions, anger, sacrifice, danger, heat, love, passion, sexuality. Yeah! <laughs> In uh, India and China, it's happiness, well-being, and good fortune. But Ooh. it can signal a whole host of different ideas depending on what context you find red in so it can darker red is luxury light red is you know passion and love and roses and all of that kind of thing hell yeah um and red is also a color that can stimulate appetites and hunger which is why mcdonald's uses that so coca-cola mcdonald's fritos jack in the box but why why does it do that i don't know know, but people just get your blood boiling and you're like god i need to eat a french fry right now yeah if you're sat in a restaurant that has red tablecloths you are most likely to eat more than if you are sat in a table in a restaurant with blue tablecloths that's bananas. Though I am thinking about every, like, down-home Italian restaurant red, I've ever been to yeah. yeah. has, like, the red and white check tablecloth, and yeah. you just eat a bucket of pasta. And sometimes the walls are, like, a really deep red. Yes. So red is also speed and efficiency. So Netflix is red. Mm. Suzuki is red. Red Bull is red. Red Bull <laughs> gives you wings. Really? So that's used to signal efficiency and speed and life in the fast lane. And then also red can be a creative colour. So Adobe, Canon, Nintendo all use red in their logos and they're all creative, fun brands. Uh, If you think about the doomsday button, right? Imagine the button that signals the end of the world. What colour? Red. Red. Right? Yeah. Subconsciously, red is that colour. Yes. So It's like the warning. Yeah. Yeah. Actum. So it manipulates your life in a way that you don't even realize so in 2004 olympic judges gave more points to competitors in red 
<gasps> really? Yeah. So they did a study where in a Taekwondo match, somebody is in red and somebody is in blue. That's just like their uniform standards of colours. And they had judges give points to people watching a video feed and then made them watch the video feed again, having changed the colours that the competitors wear. Mm. But it's the same match. They've just like digitally changed the colour that they wear. And the person wearing red, whether it was person A or person B, got more points from the judges. That's wild. And seeing red shortly before an IQ test will actually lower your score because it makes you anxious, (laughs) it makes you stressed, it makes you feel like you are about to, like, attack something. Whereas blue will make you calm down, make you more relaxed, and helps to, like, increase your chances on a test, which I think is really interesting. And then the one that we talk about a lot at the moment is blue light. Mm -hmm. So that blue light on the spectrum helps wake you up which Mm -hmm. we all know, which is why it's a problem staring at screens at night. Mm -hmm. But it also does it even if you're blind. Really? Yeah. So it has nothing to do with being able to see. There are light receptors in your eyes that have nothing to do with vision, but the blue light of daylight helps you wake up. And so even if you are blind, that blue colour is a signal to your body that you should be awake, you should be alert, you should be ready to go. That's maybe the craziest thing you've said. <laughs> it was my last little point of the of the day. Oh the idea God. that just like colors could make me do things. Yeah. I'm cuz like all the things you said before of like how interesting like you know like we all see this a different way and I'm like oh that's so crazy but like that's not scary but the idea that red could make me fail a test yeah. Yeah. is crazy. Well, when I was thinking about this yesterday I was also looking at Grubhub. Grubhub is red. Oh god, and I see that, and it makes, it makes you hungry. laugh, and I'm like, oh god, I need to order yeah. Chinese takeout again. and you're watching again. that whole thing, and the whole border is red, and it's yeah. making you hungrier. And I- so colors have this whole subconscious perception that you have no idea. I've just been thinking about red, and I am hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry too, but I think I might have just been hungry from the beginning. But <laughs> <laughs> we're all no, just it's color psychology, Becky. Colors, man. Ah. <laughs> you know, you started off being like. Colors are colors. I don't really think about yeah. colors. And now I realize that my whole life is run by colors. colors. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my time. goodness. That was fabulous. Um, as we usually do when we have a special guest here, we're going to give you some segment updates because updates. even though we talked this whole time, don't you miss us? Sam, do you want to go first? Sure. I have two updates. Give me him. Number one from episode eight, the Nexium Cult and Spike TV. Um... I'm sure you guys have all been following, like, I have obsessively, a lot of this Nexium shit is still blowing up. There's still more every There's day. There's always still more. So very recently, the Seagram's heiress that I mentioned in the podcast, Claire Bronfman is her name, and she just recently got arrested because she is using her delicious beverage money to <laughs> support Nexium, which is now, like, a bad thing to be doing. So, like, she's funneling all the secret money into this now illegal organization, so she's arrested. And Allison Mack from Smallville has also now been arrested, um, for sex trafficking. Wee! Bad. 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 Terrible. So very bad. Um, these poor women who fell into Keith Rainier's thrall, I hope they both get out and drink a bunch of Seagram's and just relax. Um, so that's something I hope from them. And then from episode 12, Incels and Donald Trump Jr., um, which one? <laughs> I have some Donald Trump Jr. news. Gross. So, 
Donald's current girlfriend who weirdly looks like his stepmom, Kimberly Gilfoyle. Oh, right. We, we posted pictures of them. They look so similar. They do look very similar. She was working for Fox News, to which everyone was kind of like, is that a weird, like, conflict? Because you're dating the son of the <laughs> president? Oh, what's the word fundamentally unethical? <laughs> <laughs> but so she is now leaving Fox News. But the best part um, is allegedly she's leaving because they were investigating her. Because, allegedly, she was, allegedly, showing photos of a man's private parts to some other Fox News staffers. Allegedly. Whose? So what this means, obviously, is that Kim showed her work friends Donald's nudes. That seems very clear to me, but again, I'll say the word allegedly, we don't know. And I just, if, here's the thing, if Donald Trump Jr. sent me a dick pic, I do think I'd show my work friends. If you didn't show me, I'd be furious. Yeah, I'd show my life friends. I'd show my work friends. I might send it to my mom. I might post it on Poor Facebook. Jill. I might print it out and put pictures around my neighborhood. I would. I would just need to share it. So that's uh, just an update on what's going on for Don Jr. As his girlfriend uh, showed her friends pics of his dick. Samantha, thank you for that. So I'm going to talk about, um, just a quick one, Formspring from episode six, Celebrity Scientologist and Formspring. Instagram has those little question boxes now. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? Like, I've been hearing stories about how some people thought it was anonymous, mm-hmm. and it's not anonymous, <laughs> which, like, that's a dream Perfect. come true. Yes. Thank goodness. I hope that's happening. Um, can you imagine somebody just, like, sending, like, you, like show us your tits, and it's like, oh, hi, Greg, from work. Thank you so much for your interest. <laughs> but then the more exciting one is from episode 21, the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal in the Capuchin Catacombs. My mom texted me after that episode and told me that my grandmother visited there once. <gasps> yeah, so context. My grandmother was, like, a traveling badass who just, like, gave no fucks and lived this cool yet tragic life. Love and her. she's just, she's amazing. Shout out to Peggy. Um, but so, like, she was in Sicily, as she was. Classic. And, like, so, of course, she went into this historic, Catacomb. deathy, sexy crypt. Hell yeah. And, um, she took pictures, and my mom, like, remembers seeing the pictures. So she, like, texted me and was like, oh, yeah, I remember that little girl. Grandma had a picture of her. And I was like, what? <laughs> it was crazy. Um, so that's just wild. That's um, so cool. That's it for me. Except, Becky, you had one. Because I do. you, you, we, so after we released our episode about the Milgram experiment, and yes. I was talking and I was like, why did all the Nazis go to Argentina? You were like, I know. I yeah. know why. So this isn't actually really an, up- an update about what happened in the episode. This is just, like, fun fact. Um, More context. I love and it. And I uh, apologize if I mess any of this up, because it comes from A, my long time ago AP Euro knowledge, and B, my dad, who likes lots of World War II biographies. So. I trust both of those things implicitly. Absolutely. Great. So I think there's like a twofold answer to this. Um, one, there was already a lot of German immigrants in Argentina because Mercedes-Benz had what I believe was a tire factory there because of all the rubber. Mm. So there was a large population of German people already living in Argentina, so it was quite easy for Nazis to move over there and kind of assimilate into that group of people. But two, more surprisingly, the Argentine president, who I think was called Peron or Peron, like Eva Peron, P E R O N, yeah, like don't cry for me, Argentina. We'll Google this, and the next time we do a segment, update, update. update. <laughs> you um, guys, it was Eva Peron. So he was an ambassador to Italy before World War Two. 
So huh. that was when Italy was also becoming pretty fascist. Oh, so he was game for fascism. Yeah, and he agreed with the ideas of Nazism and fascism. Bummer. And so set up a network of trusted people through Germany and through Italy and his old contacts there to help smuggle Nazis out, get them passports and all of that kind of thing, and set them up in Argentina. I have learned too much at this point to continue. Me too. I am I'm full up. And now I'm, I'm filled just, to the brim. Your scrunchie is green, and I'm just thinking about it's a green it. hat. Oh! <laughs> no! I'm a... <laughs> I'm a seductress. Sorry, Chris, I'm cheating on you. Not really. Or am I? <laughs> well, we won't reveal it on this podcast. <laughs> With that, um, I'm just going to invite everyone out there to stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified. <laughs>